Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden, Derek Weston, and Sam Chang. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Food and Faith Podcast. This is your co-host, Derek Weston, and today I will be talking with Martin Hutchison, Pastor Martin Hutchison has been the pastor at Community of Joy Church in Salisbury since 1999. For 30 years, he's been actively pushing the church outside the walls of the building. In 2015, he was successful in making that happen in a lasting way when he founded the Camden Community Garden, transforming a vacant city lot into a thriving destination in a neighborhood revitalizing Keystone, where they grow more than veggies. As the city of Salisbury Secretary of Community Gardens, he has coached the start of six other community gardens in Salisbury and several others in surrounding communities. He's currently working with Choices Academy on a hoop house garden to be used as a hands-on learning environment. In addition, he mentors four boys at Pinehurst Elementary School. In 2016, they added summer lunch at the garden with the restoration project, and in 2017, added art in the garden during summer lunch. He's been married 33 years to Sharon, and they have two grown daughters. I hope that you enjoy our interview with Martin. And if you are enjoying the Food and Faith podcast, just remember that you can support us at patreon.com. Just go to www.patreon.com slash food and faith podcast. All right. Enjoy our interview with Martin Hutchison. All right. I'm here with Martin Hutchison. Uh, Martin, thank you for being on the show with us today. It's an honor to be here, Derek. I'm really glad we've, we finally had a chance to uh, finally had a chance to connect here. We ask all of our guests this question. Um, what is your geography? What are the the places, the music, the food, the culture that has shaped you into who you are today? Okay. So currently, and since 1999, I am a pastor of a community, community of joy, uh, Church of the Brethren in Salisbury, Maryland. Um, I'm about an hour from where I grew up. Uh, I grew up in Talbot County, Maryland, on a large uh, family farm. Mm. And by large, I mean almost 4,000 acres in size. Wow. Uh, not one contiguous piece of land, but uh, multiple farms, and also large in terms of family. Uh, my father is the oldest of five brothers, all who farm together with their father. And then uh, I have two cousins in my generation that are now uh, kind of leading the farm. Um, there was too much family when I came up through the ranks uh, that formed me and shaped me, you know, and gave me a love for growing food. Um, but I, I was not um, wanting to be involved in that heavy family operation. So I kind of also at the same time, uh, as I graduated from high school and went off to college, thinking I was going to either do something in accounting or um, carpentry, I felt the call of God on my life to uh, consider being a pastor. And so um, my home church pastor was in the beginning stages of retiring after 43 years of serving my home church uh, and invited me into the pulpit to explore what that was like. And I just continued to feel that call. So I went off to seminary uh, in Chicago, Illinois, met my wife, and uh, we've pastored now. We're in our third and final church, uh, I hope. <laughs> um, been here since 1999 and don't really have any desire to go anywhere else. 
So one of the things that happened was in uh, every setting that I've been in, uh, I've had uh, a large enough yard that I could uh, put a garden in. Mm. And I find that putting my hands in soil uh, grounds me. Mm. Uh, and it is, um, it is peaceful. It is uh, renewing. It is refreshing. Uh, it, there is nothing like going out your back door and being able to pick, uh, fresh vegetables and bring in to eat. There's nothing like being able to use those same fresh vegetables to can for the winter. Uh, there's nothing more fun than being able to share with neighbors and friends and maybe even people you don't know yet very well, uh, the produce that you've produced. So in every location that we've been, I've had a garden. Uh, interesting, though, I never gardened as a, as a youth, as a, <laughs> as a child or a youth. Uh, for a while, my dad forced me to go into the garden, and thus I hated the garden. But then when I had the opportunity to have my own, uh, I was eager to do it. And I had watched my grandfather and my father uh, garden. Uh, my grandfather had uh, one big garden at the at the farm at his house, and then he had gardens all over the place. He was known for clearing woodland and putting gardens in. In fact, we often joked he had so many gardens we didn't know we didn't think he knew where they all were. Um, and he was notorious for having fresh vegetables in the back of his pickup wherever he went and just sharing them widely with friends and neighbors and uh, getting a lot of joy out of that. And, and I do as well. Um, so the, the fast forward to uh, ministry uh, for all of my uh, ministry years now, 33 years in the ministry, I have wanted to see the church uh, be engaged in our neighborhoods in um, significant, tangible ways. I believe that the purpose of the church at its best is to be an agent of God's love and blessing, no strings attached. And that no strings attached is really important for me. And so uh, here in Salisbury, I, I got the idea, you know, I really love to garden. And I, I'm constantly wanting to see the church engage in the neighborhood. What better way than to plop a community garden somewhere in the neighborhood and offer that as a, a gift, uh, as a blessing to neighbors, offer it as a way of engaging neighbors uh, on a, a, a even turf, a, a safe in a safe environment. Uh, I knew I didn't want to have it on the church property um, because I knew that it, the perception, whether it, they were there or not, the perception would be that there are strings. Mm. You know, the mm -hmm. church is notorious for attaching strings to most everything we do. And I, I didn't want that. I, I didn't want the, the neighbors to say, oh, we can't go there because they'll proselytize us or, you know, there'll be some kind of a string attached. I'll have to pray or I'll have to pray some prayer, mm. you know, whatever. I just didn't want that. And so I, I was looking at a location across the street from the church where we have four uh, apartment buildings and they have a huge open, vast um, courtyard between those buildings. And it would have been a great location for a community garden. 
And we just kept hitting roadblock after roadblock with the owners of that, despite uh, saying to them, you know, we'll clean it. If it doesn't work, uh, we'll clean it up and return it to the shape, better shape than it was when we found it. Um, we promise we will not proselytize the people in your apartments. Uh, we just simply want to be an agent of love and blessing, period. And uh, we just didn't get anywhere. So uh, for a couple of years, we worked on that. And I just didn't know where it was going until our current mayor. But at the time, he was our city council president, Jake Day, who's a young man, um, in his thirties had this, uh, a meeting that I got invited to somehow, uh, at a pizza shop. And he wanted to see, uh, if we could start some community gardens in our city. And I said, man, I am so excited and eager to, to have that happen. I've been working at it for all this time. And so, uh, we, he, he floated the idea, uh, what about doing a, community garden on a city-owned lot. And that intrigued me to no end because there's no strings attached. You know, you can't, because it's owned by the city, you can't do a lot of proselytizing. At, but, you know, we could share our faith. We can, I can't tell you how many times I've prayed with people in the garden. Uh, you know, I have people come to the garden. Hey, is Pastor Martin here? I really need to talk to him. But it's not me saying, hey, you know, whatever. Um, and so we started in this process, uh, as mayor day was city council president. Uh, I, uh, I, when he mentioned that idea, I knew exactly the location that I wanted. It's about seven blocks from our ministry center, which you could call the church, but I feel like the people are the church and the building is the ministry center. And, um, it was, uh, next to a playground. And I really felt like uh, I wanted to, to plant the garden next to a playground because I wanted to engage children. Uh, I feel like our culture doesn't, doesn't do well, uh, doesn't eat well. And, uh, you know, we eat junk and the health of our bodies is dependent on, on uh, how well we eat. So I wanted to be able to change the mindset uh, the paradigm that children were working with. And so um, we entered in a process. Uh, the then mayor uh, kind of didn't like the idea of us leasing or uh, us using that lot for a community garden, despite the fact that that lot was simply uh, strewn with dog poop and trash. You know, it was of no value. And uh, we, we entered in with... A conversation with the public works director and uh, in that meeting with the then mayor and the public works director uh, when he the public works director mentioned the idea of leasing the lot the then mayor got on board and uh, we leased it for a dollar a year the first lease was three years the second lease was 10 years and so you know it's been uh, seven years now it's been a, a beautiful experience it's been everything I imagined it was and a hundred times more uh, than I imagined. So that's kind of where I'm located, uh, what I'm doing. Uh, in addition to that, I also work with uh, the local elementary school a couple blocks the other way from our ministry center. 
And the cool thing about that is in our county, each element, each school can have a faith-based partner. So we are the faith-based partner mm. for Pinehurst Elementary School. And the even cooler thing about that is that the children that live around the community garden on this city lot go to Pinehurst Elementary School. So because I see them in school, then I see them on the playground, there's a, a deeper connection that we're able to have with these children. And um, some folks often joke about me being the Pied Piper of children. At the garden <laughs> because, you know, when they're on the playground uh, and when we built the garden, I thought it would happen this way. And it happened exactly as I thought. Uh, the kids that were on the playground, often unattended with no adults around, um, would come over and they had two questions. Their first question is, what are you doing? And their second question is, can we help? And so, you know, I thought if we could tap into that curiosity and engage them in this process, they would learn, uh, they would have opportunity to have access to free, healthy, organically grown vegetables. And maybe they would even um, understand uh, how, how vegetables grow. You know, most of our culture thinks that you go to Sam's Club or Walmart or Food Lion or Super Fresh or Acme or whatever grocery chain you have in your community. And that's where your food comes from. Right. And so, you know, we can engage that. And it's it's been it's been a beautiful experience. Yeah. So much good stuff there. Um, yeah. I, I, tell us a little bit about Salisbury. I don't know that that many people know. I don't know that a whole bunch of people would know kind of that community. So, so describe it for us. So uh, Salisbury is the largest town on the Eastern shore of Maryland. Uh, we often refer to it as the capital of the Eastern shore. Okay. Um, it, it is a town of about 25,000 people, a city of about 25,000 people. And uh, in the leadership of our current mayor, Mayor Jake Day, who is, as I said, a young man who came with a vision, uh, who came with a community architectural degree, um, and uh, this is his hometown. Uh, he dreamed of being the mayor of his hometown since he was eight years old. Um, he is now in his second term, and I hope that he stays in leadership for a long time. Um, he has beautified our community. He has re, uh, revitalized our downtown. Um, he has uh, brought so many businesses and opportunities to us, uh, just like the, the community garden uh, initiative. You know, it was his idea to see it happen. And he has been a major, major support uh, for our efforts of community gardening. Uh, Salisbury is also known as the first world kindness USA city. Mm. Um, we went through the hoops to become so designated in um, 2017, 2018, something like that. Uh, we have a kindness commission on of which I'm on. Um, and uh, we do things to try to increase the, the kind climate. And uh, that's very needed in our current culture, as as you know. Yeah. Um, the, the, we also have a secretary of kindness and we have a secretary of community gardens. And I have the designation of secretary of community gardens. 
the mayor designated that in his state of the city address in 2016 after the inaugural year and success of the Camden Community Garden. Um, nice. I think yeah. more cities should have a, a secretary of community gardens. I like I like it, that idea a lot. It, it has been fun and it has been really neat to see, uh, as I said in the bio, you know, I've coached six different community gardens, the start of six different community gardens here in Salisbury and several others in other cities. Um, I've met with the governor's office of children and talked about the way we engage children um, through the community garden. Uh, we've added what we call summer lunch at the garden. We have a summer art in the garden program. Um, we have a community center now that uh, I, it was a vacant boarded up house that I looked at every night as I weed it. And I thought that could be something. So I said to our mayor, hey, get me that house. And uh, the city bought it in foreclosure. I thought they would gift it to the churches. I'm glad they didn't because uh, they spent over $250,000 to fix that house up wow. in, and redo it and just opened it in July, four years later. Um, and some of the money was uh, because it's in the historic district. So it had a slate roof. It had to have a slate roof mm. put on you know, all of those things, but it is now operating as a community center for the children and the families of the community. It's adjacent to the playground, which is next door to the garden. They're right in a line. Um, That's great. In the picture I sent you, uh, you can see it behind me in, in the, the garden and the playground and then the community center. Um, and the sign says, uh, Newton street community center, a place to grow. So nice. they've kind of, kind of taken off our our tagline is growing more than veggies mm -hmm. and in uh, 2016 uh, i did a tedx talk here in salisbury um, called growing more than veggies and my thesis was that if you want to change if you want to revitalize a neighborhood or a community you have to change the composition of that community's vacant lots mm. and if you do that uh, then we discovered in our journey that we can engage board children we can create a stronger, more connected community, and um, we can provide healthy, fresh vegetables to uh, the neighbors and change the, the game for so many people. Yeah. And that's, all the, that's all the growing more than veggies piece. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you know, I appreciate um, you're your mentioning the mayor um, to the extent that you have, because I, I think so often, um, particularly if you're doing any kind of urban city in town gardening, the relationship with the government is so important and it can be an impediment to the work that you're doing. But it, 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 if you find the right people, if you if you build the right relationships, it can be such a help. It can be, you know, the, because the fact of the matter is the city doesn't want those vacant lots to be there. The city the city doesn't want the the ugly parts of the city to be on display. Like the city wants people to come and adopt those places. And what a wonderful place for the church to step in and really make a difference. Absolutely. And, you know, we have had nothing but support. Uh, three of the gardens that we currently have, actually four of the gardens uh, in addition to Camden are um, on city owned lots. 
at one point in the journey early on, uh, the mayor and the city council president and myself and a couple of other people sat down in the conference room in the city hall and looked at maps that were keyed by color marking the city lots and the dream is to have at least one community garden in each neighborhood in our city so that everyone in a neighborhood could have access to fresh healthy free vegetables in addition to that one of the partnerships that has happened with the city the first year uh, they they ran the water to the garden it was about i don't know 500 feet, they had to run it. They did that on their dime. And then we paid for the infrastructure to do uh, drip irrigation because I felt like we, we had to have water, but I wanted to be a good steward of the environment. Um, I didn't want to waste water. It, it's city water, so it was costing us money and I didn't want to have to spend more money, but it cost us $1,000 that first year. Mm. And when the mayor and the city council saw the benefit to that community garden, they said to us the second year, and they said this for every city community garden that's on city owned property, they would provide all of the water for free. Mm. And they have for the last six years for us, um, you know, the, the impact uh, one of the things I had to do, the previous mayor insisted that I meet with the chief of police uh, to find out because the neighborhood that we're in is a uh, very transitory neighborhood. It was a high crime, one of the highest crime neighborhoods in our in our city. Um, and uh, I'll never forget, they had like a 80 inch TV, smart TV, and she pulled up the crimes and they were list they were uh the designated uh by a fire you know a fire symbol Mm -hmm. and there were so many fires around that garden and Mm -hmm. after the first season the the resounding thing that she said the chief of police was that the crime rate in that neighborhood went down significantly Mm -hmm. and she said because of the garden because if you think about it, we created a destination mm-hmm. out of a piece of property that was an eyesore, and uh, we brought people to the community, to the neighborhood, to that lot. And as the people were there more and more and longer and longer working and harvesting and just walking around and enjoying the peace of the garden, uh, that bad element, that element that was there uh, creating crimes kind of went and and dissipate it. Unfortunately, they went to other parts of the the city, but it did change that neighborhood for that time. And and we still see that. Yeah. Uh, It ticks up a little bit in the winter when we're not there as much. Sure. Uh, And then as soon as the spring comes and we get back into the garden, it, it, it goes right back down. Yeah. So, you know, we have had uh, incredible support from our city, from our city council. Um, it, it has been uh, part of the success uh, of our garden. And, um, you know, as a pastor, I've gotten invited to the table to places of influence that if I hadn't done the garden, mm. I wouldn't have been invited. Hmm. And, and if I haven't, if I had not approached it the way I approach it, if I would have approached it as a, as a tool for proselytizing the neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't be invited, but I am constantly invited 
into circles in governmental agencies, um, other agencies in the community, uh, like uh, when COVID hit in March of 2020, uh, we had a about a hundred member strong conglomeration of government, nonprofits, community service agencies from three counties here on uh, the Lower Shore uh, meet together, and we've been meeting every Wednesday morning via Zoom since May of 2020. Um, and we call ourselves the Lower Shore Vulnerable Populations Task Force. And we've been looking at addressing the, the gaps and uh, the deficiencies in uh, how our community, especially the vulnerable populations in our community, get access to services, uh, get access to information, you know, all of that. And uh, it's been beautiful. And I was invited to that and have led the food group uh, largely because of my role at the community garden. Mm. That's amazing. And I, I, I love how this has given you access and the ability to be the church in the community in ways that um, so often uh, the church is, is just not present in those places where, where it's desperately needed. Um, And I, and I want to actually go back to something that you said earlier, because I have recently, uh, and, and we've on this show had a lot of conversations about using church property and church land to start gardens and to do growing. And, and it's really fascinating to me that, and it's it's registering to me in a way that it hadn't before the idea that um, growing on the church land would actually be a barrier. And I, I'm I'm interested in in how being kind of away from the church building has allowed you to do ministry in a way that maybe being in the building and around the building has. I think it definitely has. Um, I think that. Um we would not have had the impact or the connection to the neighborhood uh, had we stayed in our facility um, and done it on our property. Uh, I, you know, we've done uh, outreach events. Uh, When we moved into the building that we call our ministry center in 2007, the city politics of our neighborhood was really nasty. And so one of the things that we did was we decided we were going to have a community-wide barbecue and we called it Joy Fest. And we went door to door and invited neighbors in each direction to come and join us. And, you know, we're a small church of about 60 on Sunday morning. Uh, Actually, I don't know what we are now because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, with COVID, we're we're in person and online. But you know, our in person attendance last week was probably twelve, um, because numbers are upticking and people were afraid uh, to come. And I don't really want to encourage people to come because yeah. I don't want to be a spreader. Um, so uh, you know, but we would get about five hundred people that would come, but there were a whole lot. We could never engage them in anything much. Um, and, and I think that the impact of the garden has been far greater than that. Uh, and it's been because we've been, 
we've doing we've been doing it uh, not on our property. In, in addition, uh, we start the first year we did it with in conjunction with three other churches um, that are all different. Uh, so we have a Seventh Day Adventist church, we have a Cooperative Baptist church, and we have a Missouri Synod Lutheran church. In addition to our Church of the Brethren congregation that have worked together, and. Um, we, we did a homeless shelter for a number of years prior to the garden, about eight years prior, and we do it really well. Uh, we, we removed the pews in our building and set up the cots in our sanctuary. And then right next door is the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church in this partnership. And they had a fellowship hall and a kitchen, which we didn't have. And so we asked them, can we bring the homeless guys that we shelter during the week uh, to your facility to cook the meals and eat? And they said, yes. And can we join you? And then they had these other two churches using their facility to meet uh, one on Saturday and one on Sunday evening. And they invited them into that journey. And, you know, so we started working together uh, across denominational lines, something that doesn't happen very uh, <laughs> often. And it's a shame because it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, when we did that, uh, we had to quickly say that when we worked together as the Corner Church Collective, which is what we called ourselves, uh, it was just Jesus. Because we had all kinds of different uh, practices and different doctrine, and we didn't want any of that to inhibit our ability to work together. Mm. And so after eight years of doing such a wonderful job uh, working together with the homeless population, I said to the pastors, hey, how about we get our congregations together and, and we do something like a community garden? Mm. And uh, we had a night a um, a covered dish meal night where we invited all four congregations and had a, a good attendance about 80 from the four congregations came wow. and we pitched uh, the idea and it was the number one idea and then uh, the second idea was to do a, a, a summer feeding program uh, at the time and and so I think that because people in our community saw these very diverse and very different churches working together cooperatively, it also uh, showed them a different side to the church mm. than what they typically see. And they were intrigued by it and, and they came. Um, now, we don't work together in the garden. They kind of, all of them lost interest uh, in it. In fact, my congregation hasn't kept the interest to the level that I wish they would have it. Uh, it's been hard to maintain that, but they've released me uh, to be able to do it and see it as a part of my ministry. And, and so mm. I'm able to uh, get enough people from the community to come and keep it going uh, really well. The last well, few years have been challenging with COVID, but uh, I think that once we get past that, it'll, it'll bounce back. Well, and that's that's a good that's a good segue here. I mean, how has the community taken ownership of of the gardens? I mean, it's actually in some ways there's there's kind of a there's kind of a beautiful transition that the the community more so than the churches would say, no, this is this is our space. And how have you seen that ownership being taken by the community? We've seen it in a variety of ways um, early on. It was really fascinating, and it's a story I absolutely love to tell. 
we had engaged with a family that's no longer in the community, but they lived a couple houses down from the garden and they were a large family. Um, they were um, a family that was struggling um, and the kids were always on the playground and uh, always like a sponge soaking up whatever attention we could give to them and whatever opportunities we would make available to plant or pick vegetables. They didn't like weeding so much. Uh, for a <laughs> while, does. we didn't have our irrigation uh, set up. So we hand watered and they loved to water. And I let them do that. And I tried to teach them, you know, count to 10 and then move it to the next. Because when you're watering, you think if you put a little bit on it, it's significant, but oftentimes it's not enough and you get a lot of shallow roots. So anyhow, they were, they were there and, and uh, we were doing a work night and we had a group of philosophy students from Salisbury University, which is about six blocks the other direction from our ministry center. Our ministry center is in the middle of the university in between the university and the garden. And so uh, the, one of the garden neighbors is a philosophy professor at the university. So he invited his philosophy club students to come and work one night so he would expose them to the garden. And uh, this family, all of their kids were there and they were helping and doing a great job. And they had a cousin from Baltimore who was visiting. And I no longer remember his name, but I remember the experience. We were planting um, kale for getting ready for the fall, we were cleaning beds and, and planting kale. And this little boy kept pulling up the plants that we had planted. And I asked him several times to stop. And uh, he just kept doing it. And he was doing it, I think, for spite. Uh, and so his cousin, uh, Trinity, who had been integral in the garden, grabbed him by the ears and looked him in the eyes and called him by name and said, you stop that this is our garden and you're destroying it. And I thought, wow, she said, our garden, mm. we've made a connection. Yeah. And that, and that was the end of the very first summer. And it, that was before summer lunch and it was just beautiful. And we've had that kind of connection with our community. Uh, you know, I have people from other neighborhoods that come to help. They find us on social media. Uh, just yesterday, I talked to a, a professor at SU, Salisbury University in, in the Honors College, who uh, said she drives by the garden and she saw that it's really gotten out of hand because I haven't gotten the turnout for work days. And because of my role with the Lower Shore Vulnerable Population Task Force, we've been doing three or four food distributions and resource fairs in three, a three county area every month. So I'm going a lot of Saturdays and Saturdays are the best time to get people in the community to come. And so it's, it's not looking like I would like it to look right now. And she called me and said, Hey, uh, I got this idea. It might be a crazy idea and you might not like it, but I've got a whole bunch of honor students that I'd like to engage in our community. Could you meet with me and show me what needs done. And could they just come down there, uh, sign up to come down there in groups and, and pull weeds and, and put them in bags and then we'll take them to the dump and get it ready for the fall. I said, that's a wonderful idea. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're, we're moving forward with that. Not only that's we're great. not going to bag the weeds because sure. I'll just take them to the compost uh, right. area of our County landfill. And um, I don't want to, destroy 
plastic bags and, you know, I try to be environmentally friendly. So uh, I said, if they just pile it in this particular area, I'll bring a, my truck back in there and get a pitchfork and load it. And then this morning in my email inbox was another uh, adjunct professor that I often speak in his gardening class at SU uh, who said, hey, we had a, a former student come back and uh, who I know and who's helped me in the garden a lot um, speak last week. And she said she drove by and noticed your garden could use some help. Can we bring the students out to help you? Mm. And, you know, so you, you get that kind of that kind of engagement. Pinehurst Elementary School, the parents and the, the students come frequently and the staff uh, come frequently to help uh, summer lunch. Uh, at the garden, you know, we added that the second year and we partner with the board of ed. We don't grow the food because it's too hard, uh, to have enough to feed every day, uh, in the small space. I mean, we have 20 beds that are 24 feet long Mm -hmm. uh, and four feet wide, but it's just too hard to do that for the children. So we partner with the board of ed, they bring the lunch and we have an hour activity. Uh, at summer lunch. And this is now our sixth, we just completed our sixth year of that. Um, and so the, the teachers from the school, they come and they help serve and they help engage the kids. Um, and last year in COVID, when the school shut down, I used that connection with the Board of Ed and said, hey, uh, the, the plan then was to have uh, students come to the school to get their lunch every day. Well, our students, that's a hardship for. It's too far to walk. And many of them are young, they're elementary school, and it's not safe for them to walk. And their parents are working or don't have cars or not able to get there. So I said, can I get 50 lunches and take them to the community center every day and, and serve? And, and so we started doing that. And as soon as the teachers from the school saw that I was doing that, they asked the principal, can we go and join Pastor Martin in that effort? It'll give us an opportunity to see our kids. And uh, mm. they stayed with that the whole year until summer came. And then I transitioned that to one of the other partner churches who is still engaged in the summer lunch program. They kind of run that. We kind of run the garden. Um, and those teachers stayed involved in that the whole time. Mm. Um, and the, the administration came and, you know, they got to see their students. And, and they told me that that was a, a really um, helpful thing for them in the midst of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that helped them stay in the game, being able mm. to just see their students' faces uh, in, in, in person, not on Zoom. Yeah, yeah. You know? So you've mentioned that the pandemic um, affected uh, volunteer participation and things of that nature. Um, But what else did you see in the garden, around the garden during the pandemic? Obviously, you've got this situation where teachers get to spend some time with students. And um, so that's a that's a positive. Um, What are what are some other things that that for good or for bad, that the, the pandemic affected the way that the garden operated and the ways you were able to do ministry in the garden? So one of the things that um, early on when our governor, Governor Hogan, uh, declared the state of emergency, I was worried about that. And so I reached out to the mayor and said, hey, it was in the spring. And I said, hey, if we don't plant seeds now, we're not going to grow anything. 
Mm. And, you know, this state of emergency will lift at some point. And if nothing's in the ground growing, we're not going to have anything to feed people and people are going to need that uh, now more than ever. And uh, so he contacted the governor's office to find out to make sure that it was a a legitimate excuse uh, for us to be out. And so uh, we communicated that to our workers. And we did early on, we had people that were eager to come and did come. But as the pandemic went on, as we've said, uh, the participation did wane uh, significantly because people didn't, even though it's outside, they didn't want to wear a face mask or they, they felt unsafe. And interestingly enough, one of the things that really, really surprised me in the last two growing seasons was that we didn't have the people coming to harvest the vegetables mm. either. Uh, and that shocked me because it's free mm. and we promote it. Um, we promote it on social media. We have a bulletin board outside that is always there that explains what it is. Um, and um, I, I just, I was shocked that people weren't harvesting mm. um, things that they harvested uh, greatly before, like this year, the thing that shocked me the most was the collard greens. I grow mm. collard greens in the spring and I grow collard greens in the fall. And, uh, typically, you know, people like the fall collard greens a little better because they tell me after they frost, they're a little sweeter. I don't eat collard greens. I don't eat, I eat, <laughs> it's, I eat it's kale true. Or chips, but you know, so I, I take that uh, as true. And, um, but what I noticed was these collard greens were beautiful and people weren't picking them. Even neighbors who would constantly would before would ask me, Hey, somebody's not picking. There's a lot there. Can I pick enough to freeze or can I have, and I typically have tried to discourage people from freezing or canning things out of the garden because I, my mindset was, it was so well used that my mindset was if they did that, then there wasn't something there for, other people who came and we are a community and we need to look out for each other. And so I tried to teach that value. And so they had gotten onto that. This one particular neighbor uh, who lives right across the street and was watching it and said, Hey, you know, nobody's picking these and they look so good. Can I do it? And I said, sure. You know, they are going, I don't want them to go to waste. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have picked them and fed them to my chickens or donated them to the food bank or whatever, but I, I didn't want that. And I, I didn't, I didn't want to get into picking things either. Um, mm-hmm. because once you start that, um, you, you open a can of worms that then people expect to have everything picked and, right. and then things waste because they don't come when it's ready and it's just a challenge. So we have a red steak, green steak system. Uh, red means something's it's not ready to pick green means it's ready. I just took PVC pipe, cut two foot sections and painted the top, uh, two top foot, uh, green or painted the top foot red. Mm-hmm. And I change them out in the beds. We also have a sign in each bed that's in English and Spanish. This year, we'll redo them and add Haitian Creole because our neighborhood has changed and has a lot of Haitian uh, Creole speaking people that live there. Um, and I want them to feel included. And then we have like, I call it an Amish sign at the end of our garden. Uh, it has shingles that we can change that says what's available and it corresponds to the, uh, it's in English and Spanish. It'll be in the three languages. Um, and corresponds with the signs in the bed. So people know that how our system is, we have a, a 
explanation sheet in the bulletin board uh, for them to see and read if they don't, or, you know, a lot of people got onto that pretty quickly. So they come and pick when it's ready. And I've also tried to teach them and COVID has been uh, a wonderful learning experience. You know, before COVID people thought, well, when I want uh, a tomato, a tomato is not a good example because there's always tomatoes. Uh, we, you know, we grew a hundred tomato plants. So we always had tomatoes. Uh, let, let's say a zucchini squash. Somebody wanted a zucchini for supper tonight. Well, if they come to the community garden, they may or may not find one that's ready, even if they're bearing, even if there's a green stake in the bed. And then they get frustrated because there's not one. And I kept saying, well, this isn't a grocery store. And then after COVID, I could say, well, it's a COVID grocery store. You know, toilet paper, when you, when you wanted toilet paper, you couldn't find it or, you know, yeah. whatever. There, there were all kinds of items yeah. that we wanted in, in COVID that weren't available uh, as yeah. we were accustomed to them being readily available in our grocery stores. And so it was a, a great teaching opportunity to say, hey, you know, <laughs> the grocery store is just like uh, the garden. It, it doesn't always have everything. You know, our, our culture is accustomed to having everything when we want it. And that's not always the way it is. Yeah, that's not that's not the way it is for so many people around the world. Um, one of the things that I think has been a recurring conversation is the fact that you know, COVID's not going away, um, unfortunately. Uh, there's been some more opportunities to be able to do church outside, out of the building, and actually, I think in some ways. Um, we've been more of the church because we've been more out of the building. Um, what would you say to someone who's thinking about doing community gardens, you know, from their as a part of their church, if they're thinking about it in their neighborhoods, if they're thinking about um, a way to have their church more in the community and, and thinking of gardening as a way of doing that, what would, what, what advice would you give? What would, what counsel would you give? How, what, what, what pitfalls would you have them avoid? Um, how would you, how would you help them navigate the, those waters? So I would first start by saying everybody has to eat. And that's not going to change. And I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in eating uh, food that's uh, created in some kind of a 3D printer. Yeah, I'll <laughs> you <know>? pass. <laughs> I, I want to eat. And, 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 and you know, I, I have uh, seen lots of um, aquaponic stuff, <laughs> but so far I haven't dabbled in that because I'm old school and there's just something about soil and nurturing soil and the nutrients that are in the soil and, and, and loving on that. And that then being what we get in the vegetables that grow in soil. Uh, so, you know, I don't see the need to eat changing. Uh, we all have to eat and our bodies are healthier based on what we eat. So it's a, it's a great opportunity to level the playing field um, it's a great opportunity to engage neighbors. Um, if you attach strings to it, then you'll push neighbors away and you won't engage. I, I as I said already once, uh, I can't tell you how many times I have prayed with people who oftentimes are at the end of their rope and they know I'm in the garden and they've heard about me and they come and looking for me 
And I stop what I'm doing when they ask me to pray with them or pray for them. And I do that. So it, if, if you'll be patient and nurture those seeds of love and blessing, uh, it'll be an opportunity to have ministry that uh, is wider than you'll ever get if you just stay inside the walls of your church. Um, there's lots of money available uh, in terms of grants. I haven't had no, no problem uh, finding money. Uh, for grants related to the community gardens. Uh, in fact, I had a, a, an account with over $13,000 in just recently, and I invested. I, I worked with the Board of Ed here uh, to get a hoop house uh, erected. I bought the hoop house uh, to put on the the alternative school, uh, it's the it's called Choices Academy, but it's the place where kids who can't make it in the mainstream schools go, um, and oftentimes they're just one step out of the detention center. And uh, and so I, my idea was uh, they had a, a about eight acres of land that they weren't using, and and my idea was if we could teach those students how to nurture a plant. We might be able to teach them how to nurture relationships. We might give, introduce them to a career opportunity. You know, a, a lot of times students that are struggling in school or struggling with academics and not every student is going to go to college, um, you know, and everybody has to eat. So there's always going to be job opportunities in agriculture and, and the school system bought into it and uh, allowed us to do that. And we erected it last summer at the end of last year school year and we met yesterday to talk about the plan of getting it finished and and how to start growing it and the problem with growing things in schools is that the school year is the non-growing season right and so with a hoop house uh we'll be able to grow during school um and so you know you once you start into it and you get yourself established uh, and you make a name for yourself and an impact in the community, it's no telling what doors will open. Uh, you know, I had no idea seven years ago that I'd be working with the school system and that we'd be erecting a hoop house and, and we'd be growing vegetables. And, you know, I think we've gotten, well, we haven't gotten permission, but we're probably not going to get permission. We're probably just going to do it and then ask for forgiveness if we get in trouble. Um, but we've got buy-in from that, that particular school, not the system, that what we're going to grow, we're going to serve in the cafeteria. Mm. And so these students are going to put seeds in the ground. They're going to learn to nurture soil, nurture plants. They're going to learn to harvest. And then they're going to be able to eat and or take home the food that they grow. Uh, mm. I never thought that would be possible. Um, but, you know, God just has continued to open doors again and again and again. And like I said earlier, you know, I've been at the table. I've been invited to the table uh, countless times uh, to ha uh, places that I would never have been invited to had I stayed inside the walls of our building. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I should say this. I, I didn't say it yet. Um, I was leaving the ministry seven mm. years ago. I was done. <laughs> I was tired of beating my head against the wall and 
you know, sending the church out and having them come back. And, and then, you know, I, I'm grateful they come back week after week, but, <laughs> but, you know, I just felt like we were making no impact in our community. And, and I believe the church at its best should be making an impact, mm. you know, should be salt and light in our, in our neighborhoods and agents of love and blessing. And we just, I just didn't feel like we were doing that. And so I was going to pursue some secular job and, and just bag it. And then this opportunity came where I could take my gifts and use them. And, you know, I bet every church has somebody who likes to get their hands in soil and could lead an effort and teach, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to be shoulder to shoulder with neighbors. Uh, And, and as you're weeding, as you're working, you're visiting. You don't have to share scripture with them. You don't have to ask them evangelistic questions. You can just ask them about their life and they'll ask you about their life. And then next thing you know, they're showing up week after week after week. And like for me, I'm pastoring a whole bunch of people that have never been to my church Mm. and they don't even know I'm pastoring them. Right. But that's what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, when the, when the um, famous bicycle cop in our town uh, committed suicide four years ago. He was a good friend of mine, and uh, he came to the summer lunch often to engage with the children. Um, and I, he didn't come to my church, but I pastored him for a number of years. I had no idea that he was struggling um, mentally as hard as he was, and he he committed suicide. And uh, when that happened, our he was beloved. He was a, he was a, 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 a clown. He was fun to be around. You know, he was the life of the party kind of guy. He was always reaching out to everybody and uh, this community loved him. And we were devastated when we got the news and somebody from the community who I have no idea who they are before called me and said, we want to do a candlelight vigil and we want you to speak at that vigil mm. downtown in honor of him. And they did it that like, so he committed suicide in the early morning hours and we did it that evening at six. And and I got asked to do that out of, out of the role I have at the garden. Mm. And, you know, I got to speak to five, 600 people and help our community process his death. Mm. Uh, We had a situation in the school um, at Pinehurst where on Easter Sunday, uh, an estranged father killed in front of his children, his wife, wow. inside their home. And those kids went to that school. And the principal called me and said, when we come back on Tuesday after Easter break, we have to process this, process this. And I have no idea how to do that. Will you come and gather with us? And so she called the entire school staff about 170 people into the gymnasium. And we formed a circle around that. And I led them through uh, that time of processing and and praying together. And again, it's something I would have never been invited to had I hadn't had those connections outside of the building. And that happens again and again and again. It's it's, It's just so fruitful if you do it right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I, it, the other thing I would say uh, is, you know, we haven't had a lot of vandalism. And what we have had, I don't call vandalism. 
I call it vegetable mischief. <laughs> you know, a, a tomato is fun to throw. And all the better if it's a really ripe tomato and yep, it's flat yep. when it hits somebody in the back. <laughs> you know? and, and so the kids on the playground started doing that. And that's why we decided to do summer lunch because we wanted to engage them. We recognized they weren't bad kids. They were bored and we needed to engage that boredom. So that's why we did it. And that's why I said to the mayor, Hey, we need a community center. And, uh, and so, you know, he got on board. Um, And, uh, but expect to have some things like that. You know, I had determined early on that we were going to engage it and we were going to engage it by not yelling at the kids because they get that enough. I can't tell you how many times I've heard parents a couple houses down or next door or whatever, yell at their kids. Uh, you know, that child Trinity, I told you about her cousin from Baltimore. I'll never forget her dad came down and just was beating them with his words right and left one night. And I thought I, I determined then that was early on. I determined then I wasn't going to be like that that when they caused an issue, I was going to engage it. And so one time I arrived at the garden and there was a um, shopping cart that had been brought from the local grocery store several blocks away and it was left in the garden. And I knew when I saw it that morning, I should have taken it back to the store, but I didn't. I didn't want to be bothered. And the next time I came that afternoon, uh, it was filled with vegetables that were picked many of whom were picked way too soon. You know, the peppers were minuscule. The eggplants were so small that you couldn't get one. You know, they just, they were ruined. Yeah. And as soon as I pulled up, uh, all the children that were pushing that cart in the playground took off running. They knew they had done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I brought the cart uh, over to the garden away from the playground. They were in the playground. Um, and I, I, uh, said to them, hey, uh, I yelled at them as they were running away. I said, hey, go get your parents and come back here. I need to talk to you. And uh, they didn't come and they didn't come and they didn't come. And then I happened to look and I saw them kind of looking around the fence to see if I was still there. And uh, so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hide. So I hid behind the tomatoes. The tomatoes were about seven feet tall. And I hid where they couldn't see me, but where I could watch the direction that they were coming from. And they kept peeking around the fence and then they would come a couple steps closer and then they would come. And then there's a gazebo right at the end of the garden that's in the playground. And when they got to that gazebo and all kind of gathered in it, I went running and I jumped the fence and I got to the gazebo before they knew what was happening. And I said, well, wait, wait a minute. I just want to talk to you. And then I told them, uh, I said, you know what you guys have done? might have been fun at one point, but you've just destroyed a whole bunch of food that even if you don't like it, other people in our neighborhood could have used it. And now because you picked it and you picked it too soon, it's not ready. And that changed that whole vegetable mischief thing. Mm. They, they stopped. Um, now every year we get a new kid that comes to the neighborhood and we have to teach them about that, but you know, then they start teaching the new kid too. Yeah. It's been, it's been rich. It's been far bigger than I ever imagined or dreamed. God's blessings have been on it from beginning to end. 
Yeah. Uh, that's, this has been such an inspiring conversation. Um, so, and you've, you've already touched on this in, in a couple of different places, but we, we like to end our show by asking this question. Uh, what is it that gives you hope and not sort of a flimsy, weak hope, but a sturdy, resilient hope? What is, what is giving you hope these days? Wow. To, for me, uh, to see the city embrace community gardening, to see the ability that we have had through the community garden as, as, a, uh, as a platform to engage and revitalize and touch lives, to be an agent of blessing and God's love in our community has just, it, is, it, it has been the piece that has uh, engaged me in ministry again. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine not being engaged in a community garden. Uh, I keep getting invitations to, um, start other gardens, but I I really want to stay with my hands in the soil at the Camden community garden. Um, and, and that just gives me hope, uh, to see new people come along like these college professors that call and want to engage the students in, in that process. Uh, I, I just, I just love being able to share the power of growing more than veggies. And and that just fills me with hope. Yeah. Well, um, Martin, where can people connect with you, uh, connect with your work and uh, learn more about what you're, what you're doing? So I'm on Facebook, Martin Hutchison. Uh, I love Facebook friends, as you know. (laughs) And uh, I I, uh, also, we have a Facebook page at the Camden Community Garden. Um, It's called the Camden Community Garden on Facebook. However, there is one in Sydney, Australia. So make sure you get one in the U.S. Uh, I learned about that when I I had a local potter um, make coffee mugs with our logo on them. And somebody shared it to the Sydney, Australia one. And next thing I was selling them as a way to support the garden. And next thing I know, I had an order for two. And, and so <laughs> there are two of our coffee mugs in Sydney, Australia at the Camden Community. Oh, garden. that's fantastic. And uh, I tell people all the time, make sure it's the right one. Um, and, you know, it, it has a tomato logo and says growing more than veggies. Um, those are the best places. Uh, Community of Joy Church has a Facebook page. Uh, joyfield.com is our um, church website. Grow Camden, G-R-O-W, Camden, C-A-M-D-E-N.com is the Camden Garden website. Um, I'm happy to connect with people. Excellent. Martin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your story. Uh, this is this has been a joy, uh, and I really appreciate all the great work that you're doing. So thank you. Thanks, Derek. Thank you for listening to the Food and Faith Podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest School of Divinity, Plain Song Farm, The Garden Church, and The Keep and Tell. Editing is by Derek Weston and music by Paul Deemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod, or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.